<laughs> no, you, you, you. Oh. <laughs> oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, settle down, settle down. We got a lot to get through. We got a lot to get through. Okay. <laughs> Feel the energy here tonight. Is, uh, you know me, I'm Riley. Over there, there's Adam. Yep. This is Stone Hall Sessions. <laughs> oh. uh, so, uh, so Adam. Yep. Oh, you know, the other day I was listening to, uh, <laughs> I was listening to, you know, Grimes' new, uh, Grimes' new album. It's called, uh, Art Angels. Right on. I just, I just want to say, you know, tracks on those albums are the angels. I'd hate to see the demons. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> right on. Oh, and uh, well, you know, you know, someone uh, brought up uh, Daft Punk's uh, Rand Max's memories the other day as uh, to me as I was talking to them. Yep. And you know what I said to them? I said, you know, <laughs> I couldn't access uh, any memories of when when I actually liked Daft Punk. <laughs> Did you see this? Did you hear about this? Uh, Kanye West is going to be releasing a new album uh, come the summer. Yep. Uh, going to be going exclusively through Tidal, uh, which is going to change its name to Tsunami since it's been so instrumental in washing away all the goodwill people had towards Kanye. Let's uh, let's get this show started. Tonight on Stonehall Sessions, a baboon and Dolph Lundgren reenact a Maria Ambrovich piece. We talk to a woman who's seen every president since Taft play the tambourine. Find out what Congress seat she's running for. Live in the studio, New Love Underground. Let's talk about a, a, a. I both love and hate all the sounds on TBH. I love them because it's 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 obvious that you guys have put a lot of time and work in making these songs sound honest to a point in time. But I hate it because you guys put so much work into doing that. Why? What? What? What about FM synthesis? Did you guys feel like we need to make the album? based around a lot of this. Uh, I love FM synthesis. Um, I think the biggest appeal is that it has wonderful piano sounds, really nice bells, really, they can really cut through the mix. Yeah. Um, recording with the DX7 was incredibly frustrating because they're really noisy. Anyone who's used one before will realize that uh, mixing it can be really 
difficult because right. you almost have to raise other things up in the mix to hide the noise. And if you use like certain denoisers, they cut some of your high end and you lose some of that clarity. But some people actually prefer to have the noise. They think that it actually is a part of the analog yeah. sound, so to speak. Definitely has like that analog authenticity, you know, for better or for worse, yeah. that like analog sound. Which is ironic because it's a digital sound. Yeah, you know? that digitized analog. <laughs> analog like. Uh, um, but yeah, I mean, I guess it sort of sprung from like the first thing we did was the Pet Shop Boys cover, the yeah. A New Life. Am I yeah. close enough to like? Um, yeah, so just trying to replicate those sounds was sort of our starting point. And that sort of dictated like the aesthetic for the rest of the album. Um, yeah. Yeah, to be honest, like Mike was kind of the mastermind behind that sound. I hadn't really caught on yet. I was like, this is like my like eccentric roommate is like listening to a lot of 80s music. <laughs> and he was like, oh, we should like record a cover of this. And I was like, all right. And then like kind of came around and realized that it was you're really onto something cool. I, I will just say that it's not nostalgia. <laughs> but it's a loaded word. The um, actually for the new life cover that we did of the pet shop was I was actually predominantly using um, an LA synthesis, this LA synthesizer. It's a Roland D50, which I released in 1988. It's like in a more advanced form mm-hmm. of like FM kind of, but it still does use like some of the pa- some of their uh, patches do use like ROMs like ROM samples, but you still have, like you can still run it through algorithms and stuff, but it's not as complicated. All right. Interesting. That's very like close to that time period of when Pet Shop Boys recorded their songs. I think that yeah. was around like yeah. 86, 87 or so. I think like so. the album that uh, A New Life is on came out in 87. Yeah. yeah, 87. Yeah, it wasn't What did I do album. to deserve this? Well, it was like a B-side, yeah, It was right? a B-side, yeah. yeah. No one really knew it. Like I looked at it on YouTube, I looked it up on YouTube and it had like, 50,000 listens, you know, and I was just like, okay, this is, uh, this is the song to do. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> I think that's a great song to like have at the end of your album though, because it sort of ties the entire album into like this one final piece of a new life. And I don't know, maybe I'm wrong in thinking that this, when I, every time I hear the album, I sort of think of it as like this beautiful, like breakup album, like where some like relationship that you're, and each song sort of like goes tells the story of this like relationship where you're just sort of like having have to put it to an end and uh uh when it comes down to the final song you're saying all right here i am it's a new life and starting over again yeah i think it really ties into that like hilariously i've never thought of it that way but that's that makes so much sense like Like, as you're saying that a lot of the notes i come up with like oh it's (laughs) that's great i love that i have no idea what i was going for before but that's great I think uh, this moment happens yeah. in every one of our podcasts where Adam, one of us, have read way too far into uh, the album we're talking about. And Usually me. <laughs> no, that's great, though. Like, meaning lies in the criticism a lot of the time, you know? Like, uh, yeah, your role is very important. A lot yeah. of time, artists just sort of, like, put stuff out there, which I can totally relate to. And then really uh, intelligent, sensitive people interpret it in really important ways. And also, Adam and I. Um, so how did uh, actually, uh, let's talk shaping a, this EP together. Uh, you guys do one, you do a Pet Shop Boys cover on the EP. How do you extend that out? How do you, how do you bring like 30 years of sort of, uh, music history passing 
into something that is so sort of steeped in FM synthesis, Pet Shop Boys, things like that? How do you how do you bring a new twist to that 30 years later? Um, well, our initial release was Prom Night Breakup alongside A New Life. So we released Prom Night as a single on our band camp and then A New Life as like a free download because it's a cover. So I feel like that was sort of a good way of introducing like, yep. you know, here's the throwback, like here's what we're inspired by. And then here's like our take on it, um, which was Prom Night Breakup. So, uh, yeah, I feel like there's there's a narrative to releasing them as a pair that speaks to that. Yeah, um, Prom Night Breakup actually uses uh, predominantly um, VA synthesis. Right. So I'm um, using a, mostly a microcorg on that track. And also... You uh, son of a bitch. <laughs> I, I, I actually don't really like the VA synthesis, but I find Boom. that the interface of VA is allows for a lot more um, custom tweaking. Like Grimes, she uses oh, a yeah. Roland Gaia SH-01, which is like a really cheesy keyboard. But the amount of tweakability that you're allowed to have really contrasts with the FM synthesis, okay. which is incredibly difficult. I mean, especially with the DX7, there's a lot of menu diving. There's a lot of really getting in there, you know, and spending a week, you know, not sleeping, you know. <laughs> Potentially with amphetamines, like trying to understand, <laughs> you know, how this thing actually works. But anyway, that's actually a reference to Grimes. She says that her albums usually involve three weeks of not sleeping and amphetamines, you know. Nice. I don't endorse that kind of lifestyle, but nonetheless. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, there, there are a lot of artists that I'm influenced by you know, who are in California right now, like people like Dame Funk, okay, you know, who yeah. are really trying to bring back this kind of 80s boogie sounds. And... Petra, the Petra Boys cover, for example, is really like upbeat and it is kind of a nod to G-Funk. You know, it is supposed mm. to kind of keep you grooving and make you want to like dance, but not in this kind of uh, dance clubby way. You know, it is this kind of, you know, that those styles of music did kind of evolve into like house music, you know, like yeah. a driven beat, you know, with lots yeah. of strings and like a nice bass or something, you know? Yeah, yeah, like the original track, I think the BPM is like way higher. Like we, you know, the recording and when we play it live, it's like a lot slower. And that came from a lot of like manipulation in mastering. Yep. Like I'm pretty sure we pitched it down. Mm -hmm. We did a, a lot to it, so it's hard to remember like which one we actually <laughs> released on our <laughs> yeah. band camp. But uh, yeah, there was definitely a lot of thought putting into like not perfectly replicating the cover. I think it started out like that, like instrumentally. And then when we started making tweaks to it and like, you know, my like female vocals on it sort of made it a lot different. And then we sort of tried to make it a little trippier, like definitely consciously uh, a move away from just that 80s sound. Yeah. Taking some influence directly from like chill wave. Yeah, for sure. Know, like really and we were listening to, to a lot of that stuff. Like yeah, I definitely. remember like we were playing shows with Gray and George as the way or whatever in Halifax and like covering Conan Moccasin and like Mac DeMarco and Dame oh, Funk wow. And uh, yeah. like Frank Ocean and stuff. Yeah. So we were definitely like in that headspace. <laughs> All right. All right. I wave. <laughs> I never got a fair shake. It was like one summer everybody loved it. And then it's just like, oh, okay. Uh, I guess it's washed out now. That's a pun. <laughs> oh, shit. Oh. Rolled back with the tag. Well, it's true. You know, <laughs> that side chaining just <laughs> was too much. That was a pun. <laughs> Uh, lyrics, it's like as I was, as I said earlier, like I, I find this album sort of like this breakup album. It's a beautiful breakup album, and all the lyrics thread are just they're very relatable. And I think anyone who's been in a relationship can like 
understand and like feel these lyrics and uh do you do write all the lyrics eliza eliza uh, sorry yeah 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 right on yeah Good. um it's funny yeah i guess it is a, a breakup album that makes sense timeline maybe it isn't this is just what i got no that's totally I true probably um, read too far into it but it's funny because uh leo's is actually about uh like a current relationship that i'm yeah. in so it's sort of like the the one non-breakup track but it definitely has like a a dark uh overtone or something because i sort of started writing it about my partner and then it it turned into like some like weird advice that my friend gave me <laughs> uh yeah but it definitely fits into like that that narrative i think yeah, yeah. interesting leo's i'm guess is like uh the, the opening line is uh born in the summer just like me so like i'm guessing you're like from the zodiac sign you're both leo's yeah we're both born leo's. in august give or take i'm like surrounded by leo sorry mike and i are like such astrology nerds but uh i'm like surrounded by leo's in my life it's really weird like my mom my grandma like most of my cousins my best friend my partner now wow and uh my family in winnipeg all thought that that song was about my mom <laughs> which is like super interesting because if you sort of like apply the lyrics to a mother-daughter relationship it works as well both think they're in charge but uh, yeah we both think we are <laughs> that's why, that's it, why works it works so well, well so, so far, far yeah <laughs> I thought it was about your mom at first yeah. as well. I kind of like it. Uh, like I've I've started identifying with it as about my mom, you know, and I, it sort of works better in a funny way. It's funny when that happens. Like you write something and then you sort of are confused by it. And then it, someone, you know, someone external tells you about it and then you identify with that. It's definitely what I meant about like criticism being important. Yeah. yeah. Eliza and I met like while we were studying at a liberal arts school. So that's why there's all these like weird kind of like, Freudian references and stuff in her right. songs. Sorry, that's kind of a joke. But it's uh, true though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But Leo's is a great track. Mm -hmm. And um <laughs> the bass line. We'll be the judge of that. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually oh, really I already good. Gave though. A praise. Don't worry. <laughs> it's funny because like when I wrote the track, I was trying to um I was living in Toronto and one of my roommates was um He's like kind of an economist and he was working previously in Melbourne and before that in Shanghai. All right. And he was, he often told me these stories about how uh, like, there's a really great scene in Melbourne right now, Australia, mm -hmm. like bands like Hiatus Coyote coming out of there. Also like some other like electronic producers such as, um, is Tame Impala from there? Yeah. I think they're yeah, also they from Australia. Yeah, yeah. Cool. But, um, the original track, title was called a club in melbourne okay yeah yeah because i played him the instrumental to leo's and he was like oh man this reminds me of being in a club in melbourne <laughs> and then i sent it to eliza and i was like maybe we should keep it as the club in melbourne and she started telling me about the concept that she had for the idea lyrically the leo's idea and i was like well that's way more interesting than <laughs> a club in melbourne that guy's definitely like <laughs> i've never uh, even been yeah yeah <laughs> Makes two of us. <laughs> I was definitely influenced by the the name of the track, though. Like a lot of the time, Mike would send me an instrumental, and it would have a name. And actually, Prom Night Breakup is, I think, the only one that we kept the original name to. Mm -hmm. But I was definitely like, con whether consciously or not, like influenced by the original name. Yeah, which is interesting. So maybe there are elements of like a Melbourne club in Leo's lyrically. <laughs> Good eye, mate. Uh, so let's. Uh, <laughs> That's actually if you that play doesn't it backwards. <laughs> it actually is good day. Mate. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Let's let's delve into the making of your tracks uh, because it's just it, it, it's the two of you guys on the um, 
Mm-hmm. Um, how how do how does production start on something? Uh, because I feel like 2016, everybody makes music in completely different ways. Uh, I I recorded a track on a speaking spell the other day. It's not good, but I did it. Uh, <laughs> it's called Ah uh, Moo. <laughs> it's not good, but uh, so doesn't sound good. <laughs> Sing that again. Uh, well, we'll auto tune it for the podcast, and um, <laughs> just like you can on a speaking spell. Uh, so, how, what's the germination of a uh, of a track for TBH or TBH? What is the germination for a track? Mm, I feel like prom night breakup is the best example. Do you want to mm. do you want to speak to that? Yeah, I guess I would just like sit. I I would usually have like a production wise is a writing. Song germination and uh, production for me are two separate things. Yeah, I feel like, that way as well, especially about this album. Yeah, like I would often just sit down and I would have one of those like really cheesy like child's kind of keyboards that have the beats inside mm-hmm. and have a lot of different like MIDI sounds. So I would sit down, kind of just choose a beat often, kind of like fig- play around with some voicings and then, you know, use the left hand for bass lines and chords and then use the left hand for melodies, right hand for melodies. One thing that you'll notice from a lot of our tracks is that they are usually chords on the left side and then like a melody. All right. right. So songs like Soft Hair the have a melody. Mm-hmm. Songs like Prom Night have a melody and chords. Yeah. And even parts of um, like A New Life, for example, like there's mm-hmm. a melody and chords. And then once I have that kind of structure out, you know, I have my voicings, what kind of tempo I want to work with, I record in Logic and often I start fooling around with like I jump to the drum machine okay. and then kind of uh, like I'm really into drum machines I use like yeah like we've jammed a couple times like with just us two and drum machines mm-hmm. we did a video session in Halifax with the drum machine yeah which is awesome it sounds like a lot like the album yeah yeah that was a Yamaha RX-15 from 1985 yeah that and thing's awesome really nice sounds yeah <laughs> it's really cheesy but um even with the Pet Shop Boys, some of their earlier tracks, like Domino Dancing and stuff, are just, mm-hmm. you know, like kick and drum yeah, claps absolutely. from that drum machine. Well, of the RX series. Yeah, yeah. I think a someone went through every single Prince album, and each album has at least one track that has the original Lin drum machine on yeah. it. Like, it's, it's nuts. Like, one... Sometimes those sounds just become so ingrained in your culture that mm-hmm. you just need to have them on there. Yeah. It's it's nuts. Oh, awesome. I wish I had a Lin drum. <laughs> like I have some I have a sample pack that I uh, mysteriously found and uh, well, a friend gave it to me. Which is like I think you should have this. He gave me like a <laughs> USB disc or you know what I mean. <laughs> and I, I I like to use them every now How and then. How did you make friends with people from the Matrix? This is so weird. <laughs> there was a you blue know. one and a red one. <laughs> The floppy or the USB? <laughs> how, how far down the analog hole are you willing, are you willing to go? <laughs> I don't need to finish my degree. <laughs> so yeah, I usually just like play around with the drum machines for a while and uh, kind of go from there. Songs like Problem Night Break Up are like that. So do you develop the structure as well? Sort of verse, chorus, verse, bridge, chorus, blah. Yeah. Um, while I was living in Toronto, uh, I actually went a month and a half straight of writing a song every day. If oh, not wow. like an entire song, like just like at least three parts. Yeah. Right. And I found that 
uh, incredibly difficult, you know, but it was a reason for me to wake up in the morning because I was jobless at the time. So I said, well, I don't have a job right now, so I may as well, you know, I... <laughs> write a song a day. Yeah, write a song and a day. And that's the right mindset to have. And then I would just send <laughs> like rough bounces to Eliza, you know, and Eliza would be like, oh, this one, this one, this one. <laughs> so like, I honestly do have like a back catalog of all these like mm-hmm. weird, obscure, you know, like m- mixed downs. Yeah, they're track. all sweet too. Like just, yeah. just waiting on them for sure. Yeah, they're sick. I am surprised you <laughs> knew some of them, but <laughs> and that's exactly the way to do it. Like that's how I I went from doing uh, ambient music into doing rap production, which mm-hmm. you think would be a giant uh, step. But if you do, uh, like I I know Kanye West raps that he did three beats a day uh, every summer for three summers. But like if you just get in, like if you just wake up, you open up whatever your die is, and you do a beat every single day. Even if you're just doing that, you're improving in some way. And then all mm-hmm. of a sudden, you're just like, "Yo, I did a great song with a a DX7. I didn't think that was possible mm-hmm. anymore because it's not 1991. Yeah. Um, it's it's great. Or for my for me, like I did a stalker track. Shut up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually working on a score right now for a stalker film. So. No way. Yeah, stalker tracks are where it's at. <laughs> yeah, totally. Oh, stalker's the name of our rap duo. <laughs> oh, my bad. Hey, I'm my actually bad. a stalker, so it's really weird. <laughs> <cool. laughs> Just kidding. Stalker tracks are where it's at. <laughs> so then, what? what's the next phase for you? You, you I, I'm guessing you send the track over uh, and you start, you listen to it for a little bit. Like, how, how do you start laying down... Yeah, well, it started with the Pet Shop Boys cover, and then for Prom Night Breakup, did you send me, like, a, a bunch of tracks, and I, I liked that one? Or I think you just showed me, like, the instrumental. Yeah. Did it have your vocals on it? No, I actually, like, wrote the Prom Night Breakup song with vocals on it. Okay. But my, my voice isn't as graceful as Eliza's, and <laughs> uh, my, my lyrics tend to be pretty... Um, you know, I'm a Libra, so it ends up just being, but I'm not John Lennon, so it just ends up being really patronizing, <laughs> right? You know, it's like give peace a huh. chance, like perspective, but without, you know, the clout of being, you know, like a megastar. So it's just like, oh, you know, don't do that, you know. Where you could have the perfect balance in there. <laughs> yeah, so that song, the structure was already there. Yeah, and yeah. Eliza wrote to that. Whereas on some other songs, yeah, we definitely workshopped like the form for a lot of the other songs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah, yeah, that was definitely one of the ones where like the name that you had because Mike sent me the instrumental with the title "Prom Night." What breakup was it? Song. Prom Night Breakup Song. <laughs> and uh, I don't even know if you sent it to me with the intentions of me writing for it. I think you just sent it to me, and I liked it or something, mm. and then like sent it back with with lyrics or whatever. But uh, yeah, like the the name of that really uh, sparked my imagination in terms of like lyrical content like it definitely got me immediately nostalgic for high school and like thinking about mm. prom and having like going through old emails with like my like high school lovers <laughs> 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 which is really funny which is like where i got the lyrics for prom night breakup it's a very privileged thing for the internet generation to be able to have all this data that yeah. has been yes. saved right? for sure yeah it's really <laughs> trippy yeah facebook oh it just keeps your you know conversations so yeah you can yeah just scroll up and like being you know provinces apart like communicating about this then being able to like through technology look back and like engage in this 
technological nostalgia. Yeah, really, really wild. Definitely sparked like the whole theme for our band or like the album. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, we were going to call the album, uh, what was it? Seeking Meaning in the Suburbs in the Summertime. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we're big fans whole, of like, alliteration. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. So that kind of uh, laid the groundwork for like nostalgia and heartbreak and like adolescence. Yeah. To use the term loosely. Yeah. I think that's really cool how you like went through your old emails and things like that. And, like, yeah, it sort of got me in this headspace that, that I like hadn't revisited in a really long time. And it was like super like therapeutic in a way, mm-hmm. but also like really inspiring. Yeah. And it's sort of like uh, easy to be like, be able to write from sort of like, this nostalgic standpoint, like be behind the guise of like, oh, I'm like playing this adolescent, like my adolescent self or whatever lyrically, but really it is like applicable to my life now. Sort of like scared, like terrifyingly so, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those things that uh, I think is going to be unique to our generation. Sorry, Adam. Um, that it, 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 it will... Old. <laughs> <laughs> um, like when you look... When you look back at authors and you're like, oh, my God, James Joyce had a fart fetish. And it's like those are things that he actually chose to put down to pen and paper and like yeah. wrote out. I just uh, read those letters, actually. Yeah. Th- like when awesome. we <laughs> when we die and our correspondences are published, it's going to be like, uh, hey, I, I don't know. I just I just spent like nine days just watching The Good Wife. I think I'm depressed, but I'm not sure. <laughs> like no one's going to want to read that because it's just going to be the saddest thing in the world because it's not curated in any way because we didn't send that out as like a message that we actually <laughs> sent in a letter. It was just like something that we wrote because someone said, you up. And it's just like, that's... <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Like stream of consciousness sort yeah. of. Yeah, definitely. I think like technology uh, allows that in a really big way. And the fact that like Mike and I could only contact each other like via the internet spoke to that as well. Like uh, our keyboardist and uh, other vocalist who's traveling with us right now, Erin McDonald, she uh, describes our music as nonchalant confessional, (laughs) (laughs) which I think sort of like, you know, is that exactly. Like there's this air of like casualness that I think is uh, reminiscent of like technology and communicating through technology, but it also is uh, like laden with meaning, maybe, you know. Hopefully. (laughs) <laughs> we'll let the historians describe us. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, like, light and, and heavy. Right. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, dichotomy. That's a big That's a big theme as well. Yeah. Yeah, new but also old. Like, light but also heavy. Him, her, us, them. Yeah. So, and that, uh, okay, so you lay down tracks, and then is it is it a back and forth, back and forth, and then how do you decide that something is ready? How do you... Mm. Uh, because with a lot of other bands, you know, sort of if they're working on a song, they can go out and they can play it in front of people. They can see what sort of works, what doesn't work. Uh, they can sort of polish off the rough edges, things like that. Um, one of the things that's super interesting these days is you can form a band over the Internet um, or a relationship. If uh, Shirley 669 ever uh, calls me back. Uh, but um, <laughs> Cutie 902, this is me. <laughs> <laughs> Um, how, how do you guys, how do you guys sort of do a back and forth, uh, sort of a, how do you keep a critical eye on the things that you're doing? How do you, how do you shape these things when, uh, a lot of the times the things you want to change, you might have to tell someone else to do. Yeah. Well, I think, uh, 
us not being able to jam things out like acoustically in the same space sort of allowed us to have like a distance from the music mm-hmm. that is really unique. Mm-hmm. Um, so sort of treating it as like this very technological genre, like that's sort of what I was, what I meant uh, about like only corresponding over the internet. Mm-hmm. It's like, it wasn't Mike in the room showing me a song and like having that vulnerability that you have yeah. when it's like an in-person mm-hmm. sort of like performance of your song. So like he sent it to me after recording it and listening to it back and deciding to send it. And then I received it as like this MP3 format, you know, it's like a container technology and I opened it by myself. So I think that's like really vastly different from like jamming things out with a band or like, yeah. Cause I think like, I don't know, I get really terrified when I like show people my music in person and it's sort of like, I'm pitching it like to my band. It's like, do do you want to play this or like, Whereas if you can like, like, no, no. Yeah. Whereas, you know, if you can record it like a million times and get something you're happy with and then like send it off over the internet, it's, uh, yeah, it's just, it's really different. Yeah. I guess like I would just show the songs to, uh, whoever was around, you know, um, I think like at the time, you know, I was playing in a different band and we were doing some bigger things, you know, we were playing shows pretty frequently and, you know, I I honestly thought that was going to be like my thing, you know? So like when it came to this and, with my other band as well, like um, it was another like not to use a subjectifying language, but it was a female fronted band, mm-hmm. and like the philosophy that we always had was that we want people to pick up instruments themselves and not get so caught up in reflection that they don't even end up doing anything. And that was kind of the philosophy that I was trying to apply to our music was that you know like once you get like the vocals and stuff done, I'll mix it. No, I'll work hard at it, but let's just get it out there as soon as possible. Yeah. Because I don't want to wait two more years. Like if we shop this around with some labels and stuff, they might be like, okay, this is good, but you should go back into the studio, record it. You know, let's make a four-year plan here, you know, just try to maximize our profits. And I'm like, I don't want to have anything to do with that (laughs) because I might die like tomorrow. (laughs) Or, you know, rather I might not even be interested in playing synths Mm -hmm. like next year. So nihilism is a prominent theme in our our creative (laughs) process as well. (laughs) The internet nihilism. (laughs) Oh, exactly. You know, so uh, I think there was an urgency with TBH and even now I listen to it and I feel like the songs do speak for themselves, but there were some things that could have been improved upon. Yeah, for sure. Like it feels, it feels pretty rough, but kind of in the in a nice way. Yeah. Like I'm definitely happy. It's interesting hearing you use the word urgency because I didn't feel that in the same way that you were mm. probably feeling with your project and like talking with labels and stuff. Um, But just in terms of like that, that confessional aspect, like the urgency of like wanting to just like figure something out internally and like get it out there, you know, to like externalize mm-hmm. it and see whether or not you actually feel that way. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there was like this shift going on in indie music, you know, like even two years ago. I mean, like, I don't know about your guys' generation, but like, um, well, I know that's different. (laughs) Hey, no, you guys look pretty young. I mean, I would say you guys, you know, like, you know, must be within. Actually, I don't want to say because this is being recorded. (laughs) Because I want to kind of keep you guys like mysterious. That's when we killed him. Uh, (laughs) Well, like there was these old man hands. (laughs) I mean, like even like someone like Mac DeMarco, for example, like over his last two albums, he started using a lot more synthesizers. And I started to notice that as well with other bands as well. And I Yeah, like Home Shake is big into, yeah. into synths. Yeah. And I kind of felt that, you know, uh, guitar music was potentially, I like to think there's like dialectics that happen within music culture. You know, like if you look at the late 70s, there were a lot of, mid 70s, a lot of guitar music. Mm-hmm. And then synthesizers start to kind of creep in. 
And then by the early 80s, like even funk starts to turn to like into boogie yep. and to like, you know, a lot of like post disco, like synthesizer funk. Mm-hmm. And it gets, and you start getting like the number one singles are like Madonna's music and stuff that's like are, that are completely like layered with synthesizers and stuff. So like a few years ago, like two years ago, I started to think that maybe that same trend is happening now. Okay. As you know, like we're, even where in Mac DeMarco's career, you know, he began with guitars, but then the synthesizers started to kind of creep up. Yeah. I was like, all right, maybe we should try to get a little ahead of the a curve. You know, like <laughs> maybe I should put down my guitar and pick up a synthesizer. Yeah. And I guess time will only tell if that was a mistake or not. But, uh, you know, you you have to take leaps of faith sometimes in your life. Yeah, yeah. I mean, nothing nothing's ever a mistake, you know, mm-hmm. leads you to where you are. But yeah, it's interesting. I feel like guitar has sort of already gone through that process of... Uh, being like a, a tool for nostalgia, like sort of repurposing the sound of a guitar because it's like this symbol of like vintage rock and roll authenticity. Mm-hmm. And I feel like a lot of DJs and stuff, like Portishead and stuff, yeah, or like, you know, or not DJs, but like groups and like Moby even, you know, have sort of used like the sound of the guitar in a nostalgic way. But now like synthesizers are nostalgic because for the first time, like the 80s are far enough in the past that like mm-hmm. those sounds can be used as sort of like a tool for evoking like a longing for the past. But that being said, I think now we're also at the point where like guitar can be used again (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh, in like a completely renewed way. Like it's no longer nostalgic. It's sort of like taking the next step to uh, becoming like able to be used in a completely different sense. i 
60s was very like and 70s were very like guitar heavy and oriented and like the synths and keys started coming in and like throughout the 80s and like the madonna track but then you get to like the 90s and you like when the grunge era comes in like you know you lose all the keys and the synths mm-hmm. you're straight back to like drums and bass and guitars yeah totally they had their era <clears throat> but as you start getting like through the 90s into the 2000s since you're making a comeback mm-hmm. and like there we are again yeah definitely so it's just on this like repetitive loop almost like where <laughs> You know, these all these instruments are never like going to go out of style. They're always gonna there's always gonna be a use for them. It's just when sure. is the proper time to use yeah, them. Yeah, say that to the mandolin. <laughs> Gladly. Yeah. Yes. Or the uh, harmonica. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah, yeah. He's got a tattoo on his forearm of one. Um so you you used in one of the answers to your questions, uh dialectics. Um which is the smartest answer we've ever had to a question on this podcast. Um, let's go <laughs> I've heard back. you say that a few times. Actually know that. No, <laughs> let's, uh, let's go back and talk about how you guys make your sound unique for 2016. How do you guys make sure that what you're doing, because you're saying in your, in your last answer, you were saying, look, we're looking ahead at trends. We're looking ahead and things. You guys have a somewhat business mind to the way that you're doing things, which I think is part of art <laughs> in 2016. You have to sort of look at, what is going to catch on with people? You have to. Uh, there's there's got to be some way to get uh, SoundCloud SoundCloud uh, plays up. Yeah. And so how do you how do you guys sort of marry? Look, we're doing everything with uh, with DX synthesizers and drum machines and Logic, which is just ludicrous when I think about it as an Ableton head. <laughs> um, and how do you guys even make grime remixes of your songs? And um, so how do you how do you how do you how do you bring that sort of sense of nostalgia and marry it with something that will make it new and current and something that other people haven't been doing? Yeah, uh, the business minded thing is interesting because I feel like that's easy for us to apply retrospectively. But in terms of what Mike was saying a little earlier about urgency, I think uh, we definitely treated this project as like we both sort of have like we had like somewhat successful projects going and this was like our weird side thing oh, yeah. for both of us. So it very much wasn't business minded like at, in the beginning, but it's turned out to be able to like, you know, be called business minded in retrospect just I'll because it, it is. So I sound right. So don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, uh, <you're> right. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I mean, honestly, like my first thought was just that we're doing like we're creative people in 2016 and like anything we do is going to be relevant because we're doing it now. You know what I mean? So I think the fact that it is like a throwback is just sort of an interesting element. And especially like the high school, the high school nostalgia thing coming into play as well. It's sort of like these things about your past that are always with you, but you don't always acknowledge them. And they're sort of like hilariously applicable to your life always. (laughs) 
You know what I mean? Like you think that you grow and learn, which people definitely do, but there are things that you're just never going to figure out. And it's sort of like tragic and poignant to touch upon that with art. Maybe, maybe just sad, but it's really, <laughs> if nothing else, if nothing else, it's relatable, you know? So yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I mean like, um, I've, um, I've been really influenced by like Drake okay, and just also from like a business perspective, you know, like the fact that like most of Drake's songs are in the past tense. Yes. Yeah. Actually you know? his genre is like very much nonchalant, like confessional. Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah, exactly. You know, it is this kind of like yeah. emo kind of started from the bottom, started from the bottom. Used to call exactly. me on my cell phone. Or like comeback <laughs> cetera, season, like his earlier, like yeah. a lot of stuff on that album is like very nonchalant confessional yeah. yeah like super chill laid back but like dropping these like huge yeah you know like lots yeah. of mic drops <laughs> <laughs> oh he's a libra as well you know ovo october is very young. that's right that's right uh, you know nice nice and yeah no i feel like uh i was really inspired by that because i felt like why is drake so successful apart from the fact <laughs> that he's like a nice looking degrassi guy. no i'm just kidding yeah. well, exactly wheelchair you know. jimmy that's why. You know, speaking of high school, Grassy, you know. Ah, oh, full circle. When you guys expand, when you guys go forward, are you going to continue using that DX sort of uh, FM synthesis sound? Or do you have bigger plans? Do you have other plans? Is it all going to be trap? No. <laughs> like, I want to be able to adapt. Um, the FM sound was really, just a synth- was really just a coincidence, I would say. Um, Yamaha just... Re reissued this uh, DX reface. I'm actually pointing to the Yamaha reface DX in the room, but um, they just released that in 2015, and they just announced a new a new keyboard that they released at the the World Synth uh, like convention. And it's supposed (laughs) so nerdy. Is that name? No, no. Synthcon. I can't remember what it's called, but it's like it is that. It's like an international (laughs) synthesizer fair. And all of these companies, they re- they release all of their new products. They kind of allow people to come in and test them out. They just released a new synthesizer, which is supposed that uses FM synthesis and is supposed to. It has eight oscillators, and it goes beyond what the DX7 was able to do. And this this is kind of something that people were saying in synth forms for the past like ten years, which is which, namely that. Um, LA synthesis was created so soon after FM synthesis and FM synthesis became out of fashion so soon that really we've only seen like 25% of what FM synthesis can do. Speaking of, uh, earlier on, we spoke of about a bit about ambient music. Mm-hmm. Well, Brian Eno, most of his albums in the, in the 80s were made with the FM synthesis, synthesizer. You will not speak ill of Brian Eno. And you will not speak FM synthesis of Brian Eno. <laughs> oh, he's fantastic. I love him. Like, and yeah. uh, not to limit him, but I loved also his work with uh, David Bowie. And rest in peace, David Bowie, you know, recently. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Brian Eno is a great inspiration. He, uh, he also plays on this kind of emotional element of music as well. And I feel like that's what New Love Underground is trying to do. Yeah. We're trying to make a lot of like... EDM music isn't really emotional. It's all about the drop. And I'm not mm-hmm. trying to criticize EDM whatsoever. Of course. But, you know, we're, we are trying to inject some emotion, some genuine feeling and authenticity into electronic music. Yeah, which is inevitable like, given you and I. Like, I feel like I come, like, I'm a classical cellist. Like, that's right. my first instrument and sort of like played a lot of folk uh, growing up and like when I first came to university as well. 
So I feel like uh, my musical background is very like lyrically driven and like very emotional and sort of like raw. And then paired with sort of this like somewhat EDM influence, somewhat trap, like sort of like 80s synth music, uh, it makes for like a really interesting combination in terms of like injecting emotion into conventionally non-emotional music. I think that's very true because I think um, one thing that I I would be remiss if I didn't mention is that your EP is fantastic. It's incredibly well produced and it 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 doesn't sound like it's trying to be completely of the 80s. Like you guys sort of transcend it in a beautiful way. It is very, very much your own. And I just I've been trying to sort of circle around that by attacking you on various points, uh, mostly on the fact that you would use something other than a sampler that you could boot up in Ableton, Mm -hmm. which, by the way, we'll (laughs) speak about afterwards. But um, (laughs) the fact that you're you're able to take so many of these different elements and still so many of these different elements that are just they're so steeped in, if not nostalgia, then sort of self-parody at this point Mm -hmm. and to make something new and to make something worthwhile out of it, I think I think is very admirable. Uh, And that's not a question. That's. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't get into this podcast business to make questions. Uh, I got into it to make money. Uh, so if you could just pay me for that. Um, but yeah, what, yeah. It, Business-minded self-parody. That's another good like Bandcamp genre tag as well. Have you looked at some of the sub-genres? They're so weird. <laughs> yeah, for sure. We, uh, we actually, uh, the people who threw us the Quebec City show, described us in French. Uh, I had like clicked the C translation on Facebook and it was Halifax internet love songs, (laughs) which is so perfect. Like I immediately changed like our Facebook (laughs) page to say that as our genre. It was just, yeah, really hit the nail on the head. But I mean, you guys even go past sort of the, uh, I, I mean, it was popular for half a second and then it wasn't a vaporwave sort of sound, which is, (laughs) I'm still into it. Yeah, shout out to Dom Latange. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like Macintosh Plus. There's also like uh, 18 Carat Affair, who yeah. I'm really into as well. They're really good. Mm-hmm. Um, There's yeah. also every intro to this podcast, which I, I make sure is lovingly recreated in vapor. <laughs> Mostly by recording it at 1.30 and then slowing it down to yeah. 80. Nice, nice. Yeah, well, there's definitely yeah. like a like a collage aesthetic going on with Vaporwave, you know, like picking and choosing sort of elements of musical history and like speeding them up and slowing them down and making them into this like cohesive whole. Yeah. And I feel like we do that analogously, you know, like taking sounds and like emotions from the 80s and sort of evoking them musically and then putting these like first person narrative lyrics over them. It is like a collage in the same way. Which is, is super nice because Vaporwave is so much about sort of disguising what your influences are because mm-hmm. oftentimes they'll sue yeah. you if you find out that you're doing what For you're sure. doing to their songs. Yeah, um, so like the sources are disguised, but the genre is very stylized. Like it is Vaporwave, you know what I mean? So I feel like we sort of do a, a reversal on that in a weird way. Like our influences are not disguised. You know what I mean? Like we covered the Pet Shop Boys. We're influenced by the Pet Shop Boys. We use like FM synthesis, but mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting comparison. Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Adam, what else you got? Uh, Soft hair kind of goes back to what I was saying with like, it's it's like uh, this very melancholic song. At the same time, I find it very sexy Mm -hmm. Uh, because it's me. It's like this song that you're. It's like playing in the background, 
or the last time you ever sleep with your lover kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And it, it has these like comparisons throughout it, like cutting it off, like cutting off your soft hair, if you will, or mm -hmm. cutting off the relationship. And it's long overdue. I'm always going to love you, et cetera, et cetera. When it just, to me, like really speaks into that, like this, like the junction and the realization, the acceptance and like the appreciation of having something that you have to get rid of at some point. And <clears throat> yeah, it just sort of really reached out to me and going back to what I said in the beginning of the podcast, I had to see this all being like this sort of breakup album, if you will. And it's just one of those songs within the album that really expresses that. Uh, what what uh... <laughs> so do you want to go in a little bit more detail about how that was written uh yeah musically lyrically both maybe we'll start with mike in terms of musically <laughs> was this the song that had the the thunderstorm at the beginning in the original yeah, yeah. Did, we didn't keep that did we? we didn't keep that yeah i think there are some ambient rain sounds at some point but i feel like i may have taken them out yeah very like a stan you know the eminem track stan mm. it's like the dido sample yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. it's like the the thunder <laughs> the crash of thunder in the beginning it's yeah like, i was i was a big fan of um eminem Don, anything yeah me Dr. too Dre produced like, yeah yeah like, for sure high. like obsessed I, i'm pretty sure i know like every millisecond of stan by heart <laughs> but uh yeah, yeah. I, I wrote that instrumental Oh, I wrote that instrumental like, after, like, all right. Soft hair, um, yeah, great track. Uh, I came up with the <laughs> instrumental while sitting down at old Casio keyboard. Yep. Basically, classic melody on the right hand, chords on the left. Um, it kind of, it kind of wrote itself. I was really trying to channel a like a jazzy kind of vibe, mm -hmm. but still trying to have that be relatable to electronic music. I wanted to I wanted to make a song that would be receptive to lyrical interpretation. When I wrote that, it wasn't a song that I wanted to be an instrumental. I felt okay. like Did it have lyrics they, originally? It did, didn't it? It did. Um Was it the marriage one? No, no, no that's another one. Oh, okay. Yeah, we have another song called Getting Married, <laughs> which we will release at some point in the future. But um, Soft Hair, yeah, that's one song that is trying to channel this kind of Toronto kind of vibe. Right. Yeah, um, very trappy. We want it to sure. be like urban. We want it to be able to uh, have someone, you know, who's like going to junior high or, you know, high school in Toronto, you know, would listen to it and, you know, dig the vibe, would still be able to, you know, find it groovy, but still like connect with them emotionally. Um, the song, yeah, it's a mixture of, a uh, the DX7, the microcorg, and I think I also used the um, the Roland D50 in that. So, and that was one of the songs that I collaborated with my uh, former roommate. He helped me make the beat because, like, yeah, the beat is very George. I feel yeah, like, yeah, very George. Speaking of like Toronto trap, for sure. Yeah, our friend he lives in Toronto. He makes trap beats in Toronto. Mm -hmm. He's a great producer. Um, yeah. That song we wanted to I wanted it to be very quick, you know, because like kind of playing off of what you were saying mm -hmm. about the song, you know, I feel like I wanted it I didn't want it to stay too long. Yeah, it's definitely <laughs> well, like a it's... window into something. Like yeah. in terms of what you're saying about the lyrics, like uh it definitely fits into this like breakup album idea, but it's actually about like something that never turned into a relationship. Okay. Like it was sort of this unrequited or sort of like unrealizable 
romance. Mm-hmm. And I think like the uh, form of the song and the length of the song speaks to that as well. It's like a, <laughs> it's like a, yeah, sort of like time to cut it off, but it was sort of before it even turned into yeah. something like you and me go way back to when we hadn't met these people yet. And it's sort of like our current partners now. Okay. And, uh, you know, we're, yeah, just like both being in love with the people we're with now. So there's not much more to be said. Right. Yeah. I think it's a beautiful song. I love you. it. It leaves me wanting more because it's so short as well. Yeah. 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 Well, it sort of speaks oh, to like to a, a feeling of wanting more, you know? <laughs> so it makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Maybe we need an Ableton remix of it. You know, that can be four minutes. Yeah. You should, <laughs> man, you should just run our songs through Ableton. Do, you, do your thing. Perfect. <laughs> uh, how do you feel about harmonica remixes? Yeah. Honestly. <laughs> that's like, the only way we roll. Let's go. I'm down. <laughs> he plays a mean flute too. We could probably yeah, apply wind, for a different grants, section. you know, if we have a harmonica in there. Yeah. We're trying to make a name for ourselves for Ottawa Trap, which is just basically trap with harmonica and flute over top. Oh, okay. uh, that really rolls uh, off the tongue. Yeah. I must say. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was waiting for like a catchy like name of the genre. You were like, which is basically this with the harmonica and flute played over top. Uh, so one question that we dive into with everybody. Uh, and oh, no. scared. <laughs> it really defines people forever, especially in this podcast. In his mind, anyway. To just how much of a how much of a person is actually an artist, and how much of it is just bullshit that they put online. Um, <clears throat> and and it is. It, we're able to discern this uh, through a very scientific process, um, <laughs> which since I think it was I think it was designed in 1969, um, people have been able to discern who is an artist and who is not. Um, and it's Genesis actually uh, was a band called Genesis, but it extends far, far past just the limited reach of Tony Banks. Um, who can only reach to the nose keyboard that he buys. Um, for you and you and you and you, who is the superior artist? Peter Gabriel or Phil Collins? And we will go down the line. In the area tonight. <laughs> oh, I'm starting? Yeah. Sure. I don't know. It's art. I don't, I don't know. Like, no, no, no. It wasn't, is, is it art? It's Phil Collins or Peter Gabriel? <laughs> I have absolutely no answer. No Phil Collins was a drummer. Either of them. So. <laughs> I'm wearing a T-shirt that says Susu Studio. Man, I'm not. I don't know. I don't like comparing like music, like better or worse, or musicians. Like, it, it, I don't know. It doesn't really cross my mind ever. Let me compare answers with the other people and see if yours was better or worse than theirs. Uh, next. <laughs> um. Uh, interesting. Yeah. It's funny that we were talking about Stan by Eminem, and there's that that lyric about Phil Collins. Mm-hmm. Yeah, What's funny. the lyric? It's like uh, Phil Collins in the area tonight. <laughs> I forget the con. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I like what John said. I'm gonna stick with that. Yeah. Phil Collins is dope, though. I'm a big fan. <laughs> that being said, <laughs> but he's not necessarily better. I hope my uh, my old roommate Savannah isn't listening to this because she's a diehard Peter Gabriel fan. <laughs> Oh, so she's a diehard lover of art. That's okay. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. I feel like it was different generations, different access to uh, materials at the time. Really, because they both came from the same band. 
And yeah. Phil Collins played on the first two Peter Gabriel albums, especially when Peter Gabriel pioneered the reverb snare Boom. by using a talkback mic in oh. the studio. Mic drop. I mean, I, th- I thought that was... Uh, I will not drop mic. I thought that was Tom Petty and his, uh, when they re- when they re- when they recorded that album with um, a song um, Refugee on it. Okay, if Tom Petty can't even <laughs> admit that he has a heroin uh, addiction through all the 90s, then I can't believe that he invented something that Peter Gabriel already did. It was so fashionable, though, you know? Like, <laughs> <laughs> he was just trying to stay relevant. I don't want to be insensitive, though. I mean... I feel that Phil Collins is a bit of a neoliberal opportunist, you know, oh. and he didn't stick it out with uh, oh. G- Genesis. So you like Peter Gabriel better? You know what? I feel like they both reacted to the music industry a bit different. We should like, look up their astrological signs. Yeah. That's, that's we should true. answer the question and not sit on these fences because eventually they will just sink into us and we will be. I think, I think it speaks to the, the greater themes we've been discussing in this interview. The fact that we're not going to decide. Yeah. They're both great. I don't know. Sort of hovering, no! in, hovering no! in between. Fuck no, you're not going to be satisfied. I don't think anyone's going to like. I, I think that's Sue Studio uh, or fucking. <laughs> there's just so many hits to choose from, yeah. or the entirety of So. <laughs> I think um, or Salisbury Hill. Okay, okay. Sue Studio, Salisbury Hill. In the air tonight, Salisbury Hill. Salisbury Hill is about leaving Genesis. All right, you gotta start speaking Sal- in the Sal- mic. Salisbury Hill, because I think Peter Gabriel, he's a little more political for sure. I'd say, I respect that sometimes. Say that again into the mic. I said, uh, <laughs> well, maybe you consider Peter Gabriel a better artist because he's uh, very much more political than Phil. I don't know if that would make someone a better artist, but. Maybe that appeals to you. I mean, that is good and that is bad because, yes, he did start Real World Records, but he went bankrupt doing it and he had to ask Phil Collins for money. Uh, so the plot thickens. I mean, so this is where Phil Collins being the better neoliberal um, economist you know, really comes into play. You know, is like, that a negative? I mean, it all depends, right? You no, know, no, what no, pays no, no. Bills. It does not matter because we're not talking about who made better money. We're talking about who is the better artist. Should we just ask who has the better soundtrack? Does the money no, dictate Who has the better Disney soundtrack? Yeah. Who gives a shit? Tarzan or Wally? Tarzan, for sure. Uh, no, I always felt alienated by Tarzan. <laughs> so, did Phil Collins do Tarzan? Yes. And Peter Gabriel did. And Phil, uh, Peter Gabriel, won an Oscar for his track on Wally. He won a Grammy. It was a Grammy. Well, how many songs from Wally you can know? you sing, and how many songs from Tarzan can you sing? Phil Collins won an Oscar, by the way. Too. Does that matter? <laughs> Is great art defined by how well we can replicate it? No.
and I'm gonna let her go. Oh, I ain't saying nothing. Don't try and make this something. I let you, let me, let you go, and it set the tone. Oh, I ain't saying nothing. Don't try and make this something. I let you, let me, let you go, and it set the tone. Let you let me let you go, and it set the tone. 